Hey. What? What are you doing? I was going to play you a song. Why? No one wants to hear that. People love music. Yeah, but they love music from like talented people and people who are actually funny. What? They want they want Logan Brown. And this is his second story. Welcome to Second Story, everybody. I'm Josh Sabalski, author, broadcaster, podcaster, I guess now, <laughs> uh, president of the Corey Leckie Hate Club. And hey, That's he's true. Corey Leckie. What's up, Corey? Hey, not much, uh, man. Oh, good. Just cutting right in. Last time you wouldn't even speak <laughs> when we did an episode. Now you're just cutting, cutting right in. It's great. Uh, so joining us here today, we've got uh, comedian, all around good guy, Logan Brown. And uh, he just released a comedy album, uh, Black Man, White Privilege. Yeah. What's going on, Logan? I'm good, man. How are you doing? It's been a bit of a hectic day, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, it's the life of um, trying to, you know, work a day job, be a comedian, be a whole bunch of things. At least that's you. That's not me. I'm not funny at all. That's life in the Canadian entertainment business, buddy. Every, every one of your favorite musicians has still got their day job. I always used to joke that Ottawa is the center of the universe just because yeah. I would go anywhere in the world and I would run into people from Ottawa that I knew I would be, I remember I was in Dominican with my wife and we're walking through this resort and somebody just shouts out Sapolsky and they run up to me. And it's a guy I went to high school with and my wife's yeah. like, you gotta be kidding me. Like so- we're in the Dominican and this is going on. I was like, yeah, that's, that's what it's like being from the Valley. Straight up, dude. I grew up in Kingston, man. So I, I know that exact, exact same vibe, dude. Yeah, absolutely. It's the way it is. Um, I actually, so we, I, I was introduced to your stuff through Oliver. So Oliver George, who was a guest on this show, you were a guest on his show. Yes. Yeah. And I've been a big fan since I saw you on Oliver's show. You know, I was saying to Oliver when he was on this show that I think you're destined for pretty big things. Oh, thanks, man. That's really kind of you to say, dude. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's uh, Corey and I were actually talking about before we jumped on that we kind of both see you as somebody who's who's destined for pretty big things. So you're how holding a guitar, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the start of your career was actually your background is music before yeah. you got into comedy. And that ultimately is is your second story. Um, what was your introduction into comedy? How did you end up becoming a comedian? So I loved comedy, but truthfully, I loved comedy more than music when I was a kid, but it looked like it was like witchcraft, what they were doing, going up on stage, telling stories and being funny. Um, so I gravitated towards the guitar because I could see how one could figure out how to play the guitar at a, at a technically proficient level. So that's kind of where I went down that road. Um, and, you know, I did a whole bunch of cool shit. I was in a death metal band when I started. Then it became like a jam. I went into a jam trio. I was the, the musical director for like a, a blues jam trio. Uh, then I met my ex-wife. Uh, we toured together as a jazz duo for a little bit. Got signed to Universal. Got unsigned to Universal. Uh, did some workshop shit with The weekend, uh, And then uh, we ended up packing it in just before the pandemic happened. Um, and this entire time, like, because when music is your job, you tend not to listen to it as much, like the fu- especially if you're playing covers and shit. Because like I have a, I call myself like an overqualified like corner of the bar type guy. You know what I mean? Uh, so <laughs> I uh, I wasn't listening to any music, but I was listening to a ton of comedy podcasts. And then you had these guys breaking down what it is to write a joke, even if it wasn't meant to be that type of inside baseball shit. You could hear like the stories when they were talking about touring were kind of parallel to the stories like because we'd be on the road while I'm listening to these podcasts. And so I started being like the, the 
Mystique started disappearing for me. And I thought, oh, you know, I could probably do this. And I'd written some jokes. I'd write some bits every now and again. Um, and then finally, the pandemic happened. Uh, I had a suicide attempt and did, realized I needed something really needed to happen that ne I needed to fill the void. And uh, I, I just went out to an open mic and I uh, like a music open mic, which like, imagine hinging your entire life on going to an open mic, deciding if I bomb, I'm going to do it. If I don't bomb, I'm going to continue to live. What a ridiculous notion. But uh, I did it. I did well or did well enough at the time. And uh, the rest is kind of kind of history. So. Wow. Jesus, that's yeah. I mean, I've heard that story before. It's just, it's crazy to hear. It. Like, it's it's wild, and thank God it went the way it did. It's yeah, yeah. Do you? Yeah, that's that's wild. Um, what do you think? Like, if without comedy, where do you think you would be? To be honest, like I, I don't want to dig too deep, but that's that's kind of where my mind goes. I don't know. Uh, I've I, I've had since that day. I've had some like. Uh, um, not, not health scares, but I've had like some pretty serious panic attacks where I thought I was dying uh, and realized that I wanted to live. So that's, you know, that's fucking that's positive right there. Uh, so I don't know if I would have gone through it. I sure did plan and like really seriously contemplate uh, going through with it. Um, and I'm very grateful that I didn't. So I don't know necessarily if I would have truly gone through it. I probably would have got back into playing bars and stuff like that eventually. But there just always would have been something something kind of missing. I had like the white picket fence life or as close to it as a millennial can. I was white picket fence, but it was my landlord's picket fence. Um, and uh, I had that sort of life uh, for a little bit and I was, I was content, but I wasn't happy. Um, and then of course the pandemic rolls around. I get a good government job and I think to myself, maybe I don't need this. Like I'm not, I don't want to be an online guitar teacher or anything like that. So I, the, the motivation to create left me. And I was cool with it until I wasn't. And then that's kind of where that sort of came in. So I don't know. I mean, I'd like to think that I would have found comedy naturally anyways. I'm not a huge, uh, not the most spiritual guy in the world, but I definitely think the universe kind of finds a way. So I'm sure I would have ended up uh, stepping on stage in one way, shape or form to tell some jokes. But uh, I'm grateful that it happened when it happened. So I think it's pretty cool that you're able to like, uh, weave some of those personal stories in into what you do as well. Like I've heard you on stage talking about ADHD and yeah. kind of some of your mental health struggles and things like that. So yeah. um, was ADHD, was that like an early diagnosis for you or is that something that you figured out later in life? No, it was way late, man. Yeah, I got diagnosed uh, in the beginning of June 2021, uh, right before oh. I started doing comedy actually with, with uh, ADHD. And then was diagnosed six months ago with uh, autism spectrum disorder. So all of these things are, are late in life. Because my dad, I'm sure my dad's got something, but he's just one of those old guys that's just like, oh, it's all, all they're trying to do is medicate you type of shit. You know what I mean? Which like, I mean, there's some validity to it, to an extent, that mindset to an extent, but not to the extent that he's had. So I always just assumed I was kind of like weird or broken, you know, not that I had any mental health problems or whatever. And then, of course, I'm, I'm coming up to 30 in like two and a half two and a half ish years. And, uh, so I, I just wanted to kind of get that shit underway and straightened out. So yeah, I went to my doctor with, uh, was, had seen some signs was, uh, you know, reading some online blogs, watching some TikToks, And I went, uh, I went to my doctor and wanted to pursue that and he was all for it and helped me out. And yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's great. I have, do have an Adderall prescription, which, you know, for better or for worse, definitely helps me focus and harness some of the manic energy that I've got. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a lifelong struggle, and I didn't realize it was a lifelong struggle until less than three years ago. So, 
Yeah. And probably wow. looking back on it, right. You're, you're looking back on some of the things from your past or something and maybe it started clicking for you. Yeah, man. I got, all, I had all the telltale signs of like, he's a strong student. He's graduating with honors. He's really good at this subject, really good at this subject. You know, he's a, he's creative, but he's like analytical, like, you know, a lot, all the stuff that makes you a great student. And then you leave school and you feel like a waste of talent. You know what I mean? I didn't have that too much because I left school immediately to start uh, start gigging. So there was always an outlet and I never had this situation of like searching for my purpose necessarily. Um, but you know, it's, it's still like, it still wrecks, wrecks your personal life in a lot of ways. Like there's a lot of, uh, I make the joke on stage or there's a lot of levity to it where it's like, Oh yeah, I'm like the dog from up, but it's like, you know, I also have some, <laughs> some real like emotional dysregulation problems that I have to keep in check. It's like, there's a lot of, you know, I have to monitor my triggers with stuff. It's like, if I can't get too excited over a subject because I don't know if I'm actually excited over something or if it's going to become like an obsession over a month that I'm going to be bored of by the, by the next month. So yeah, it's a lot of, uh, you got to be self-aware. You got to be real self-aware. I think a lot of people have a real issue with um, being vulnerable. Yeah. And I've always admired comedians and musicians because I feel like there's nothing more vulnerable than being the only person in front of an entire crowd, like just standing there by yourself with a guitar, with a microphone. And there's a real vulnerability that a lot of people can't face. Do you think something like that allowed you to sort of... Um, you know, deal with some of the mental health stuff, like the ability to, to be vulnerable, to go and kind of ask for help and stuff like that. Was that helpful well, to you or is that something you were able to harness? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. The, the asking for help thing is, is still something difficult that I need to step outside of myself in order to do properly. Um, I always, cause people, especially people that know me from music and they see me getting into comedy and they're like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, if I could play like you, I'd never fucking want to put the guitar down and shit like that. I sound like I'm patting myself on the back, but you know, whatever. Uh, I play a lot of small towns. So people don't know how to play anything other than a E pentatonic, E minor pentatonic. Um, but uh, so for me, I don't look at myself as like a musician or a comedian. I look at myself as like an entertainer. And these are just the things that I've gravitated towards as a conduit for that. So it's like, my motivation to get on stage is because I love the spotlight. And if I could do it any other way, I'd find a way to rope that into it as well. But for me, being funny and playing the fuck out of a guitar and singing is like just the way that I do it. You know, I mean, even still, like the, the whole world shut down and I, instead of doing Zoom concerts and shit, was like, I'm going to get a job at the post office. I have no fucking interest in any of this. Like, I want a stage. I want a spotlight. I want to turn my amp up really loud. I want to fucking rip. And that's, you know what I mean? I want to melt some faces. <laughs> I don't want to see, I don't want to see the wow reaction just come up every 30 seconds. You know, like, I don't, I want human, that human connection. So that's, that's my big yeah. goal for that. You didn't know how to juggle chainsaws. So that was the route you want, eh? Yeah, exactly, dude. I don't know. I like, I'm, I'm. <laughs> The, the, the black half of me did not give me the gift of the dance. So like, I didn't want to do any of the TikTok fucking nanes and shit. So I just, I went right into delivering people's mail in Lanark, Ontario. So, yeah, well, you do have a right to pat yourself on the back, man, because I listen to some of your stuff. And, and like I said, I got these guitars on the wall. Right They're actually just cardboard, but I was going to take them down for this interview. Just <laughs> right on, dude. Yeah. 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 No, I appreciate that, man. It's a, you know, it's a, Again, it's another labor of love that sometimes is more of a labor than anything. But uh, yeah, again, my motivation to play has always been just to entertain people. A lot of people pick up the guitar because they think it's going to help them get girls. But like, I'm playing the way that I play. The only people that ever come up to me after a show is like dudes, you know, <laughs> like that's <laughs> that is it, man. It's just whoever I'm entertaining. I don't give a shit about the demographic, the age, the ethnicity. It's just if you're 
if you're vibing and you're going, wow, when I fucking bust out a lead, then that's that's all I care about. So so I, I've seen you play guitar, too. You're you're excellent. I was comparing you to Howie Day before we came on. I don't know if you know who Howie Day is, but no, no, I've he, never was, heard. Uh, he was a singer songwriter probably 25 years ago, 20, 25 years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really, really talented guy. He used to he'd have all these pedals set up and he'd play basically all the instruments at the same time like he'd have the drum track he'd be playing it and it was really neat but watching you i saw a lot of uh a lot of your stuff in howie day but um you seem to have a natural ability you mentioned being an entertainer you just have a natural ability as soon as like the light turns on or the microphone turns on to just go for it and you're so comfortable in front of a crowd i was curious like where do you think that comes from is that something from your childhood or developed that later in life um yeah i've always my my uh, parents and my grand uh, grandparents have always told me that i've been like a ham i don't know where that comes from because it's a small family truthfully like i mean you know it's an I, my dad's irish so it's like it's a big family but i mean the the core of it was like i've got two brothers and i've got a brother and a sister uh it's a family of five i had two sets of grandparents like everybody else so it's like i don't know where that desire and need to stand out um, cause I mean, even when I was a kid, I used to like make up stories about shit that didn't even happen. I was writing bits before I knew I was writing bits back in the day. It was just <laughs> called lying. Um, and that's, <laughs> that's, that's what I did. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, I always just wanted to have a, a great life. Like I just wanted a really interesting life of like doing stuff like both my parents, uh, you know, they, they, they're homebodies. They, they have good government jobs and they, they work and then they go home and they like to smoke a little doobie and they like to watch some cartoons or watch TV. And that's a great environment, truthfully, to grow up in as much as people might think. It's like not like how can they be great parents if they're smoking weed? But it's like I was exposed to so much media that probably shouldn't have been exposed to it like as a young kid. But it's like the music, the movies, like... I mean, I remember the first time I was blown away by a guitar. I was like six years old. We had the the Fleetwood Mac, the dance uh, live concert and Lindsey Buckingham doing a like, like big love. And I was like, yeah, how dude. the fuck is he doing that? He sounds like he's like seven people. This guy sounds like an octopus. And he's like one guy with a receding hairline. Like, what the fuck is happening right now? You know what I mean? So, and yeah. like, I'm right there with him. So now I understand. It's like the less hair you have, the better you are a guitar. But that's, uh, it's it's uh is that true yeah yeah i i've, I've fully but dude joe satriani case in point there you go dude you could i bet you could shoot <laughs> circles around me man um but, uh, <laughs> um but uh yeah man like I, I don't really know where that desire to be a ham came from necessarily i just know i've kind of always had that dog in me as liam would say so i just cultivated that and found a way to do it all the time or at least in some way shape or form make it most of my income so we've kind of heard a little bit about your musical, you know, some of the musical people that inspired you. What about uh, in terms of comedians? Who like who were your inspirations to get into comedy? Uh, well, I was a big, uh, I am still a big Norm Macdonald fan. I find the way that he writes jokes to be like the smartest way to do it. Because a lot of people on stage, you can see that, I mean, even in some of the headliners, and I sound like a piece of shit right now because I haven't been doing comedy very long, but like you watch someone deliver the same shit every day and it's it's um it it looks it looks very formulaic sometimes if they aren't very good at, at making it seem natural um and that's just the way shit goes like you got guys that are really good at it guys that aren't so good at it both happen to be headliners and tour the country whatever shit happens um but his way of just like he knows what the punchline's going to be but he gets to it differently each time is I think that's a really smart way of doing it. It's the way that I look at the guitar. So having someone like that that I looked up to really helped 
also connect the dots between music and comedy, which has made it easier for me to transition from one into the other. Um, Cause that whole improv thing of just like fucking around and then landing on something really funny is like, that's great. That's where the witchcraft aspect comes into it. Um, recently I've been really into like uh, Bobby, K- Bobby Knuff uh, here in Ottawa is actually one of my favorites of all time. Uh, Mike Rita is fantastic. Um, Ryan Williams is a new find and that guy is legendary. And then when it comes to musical stuff, it's like I'm a big Tenacious D guy, huge Steel Panther fan. Even before I was playing, my cousin introduced me to Steel Panther when I was way too young to get into Steel Panther. <laughs> um, uh, Flight of the Concords, uh, Weird Al, obviously, like a lot of that. Uh, I have a, a deep respect and reverence for comedy as an art form. And I'll be completely honest, like I hate musical comedy it's why i do it because it's it sucks you know what i mean it's like you see you have these geniuses that's like maybe there's 10 of them in this melting pot of like i'm gonna write a song that's really funny and then the rest of them is like some kid that goes up on stage with a ukulele with dad jokes and is like all right it wasn't funny without the ukulele so maybe in the key of g it will be hilarious and it's like no it fucking sucks too what are you talking about (laughs) it was um Interesting to see that you you pick Norm Macdonald is sort of right off the top. Him being yeah. from Ottawa, people don't really think of comedy when they think of Ottawa. Obviously, you're in the scene yourself. There's a lot of great comics who have come out of Ottawa. Norm Macdonald, of course, Tom Green, yeah. Jeremy Hotz. Um, you can go on down the list. What's the scene like now? I'm not all that familiar with it. Or most of our listeners and watchers won't be familiar with it. What's it like right now in the Ottawa comedy scene? Well, Ottawa, I mean, I'll defend Ottawa till, till the day I die as like a great scene because there's nothing here. We have clubs like we have a good we have like we have a good amount of stage time for the amount of comedians that come out of here. So we end up with like really strong writers, um, but there's no opportunity outside of the comedy clubs. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, uh, there's if you're in Montreal, you might get your face. You, you might like you might get hooked up with JFL just because the, a lot of those cats live in Montreal. Um, and if you're in Toronto, like there's always the, there's, a, I mean, they also have more comics just because it's a bigger city, but it's like, there's also a lot of people that go up on stage with the intent of becoming a triple threat. Like I already act and I already sing, like I need to be funny so that I can help sell this show on CBC or I can help write this script or, you know what I mean? Uh, whereas like in Ottawa, we sure have our people that have delusions of grandeur by also, you know, that's, that's not, uh, that goes without saying myself included, but, um, me too. It's, uh, it's, it's just the ceiling, uh, career wise in Ottawa is like middling at a club, which is when you're doing like 15 to 20 minutes. It's featuring is, is also the, another term for it. And that is going to net you $12 a year. So, People are doing it for the love of it and for the desire to get on stage. And I'm not saying that either of those scenes have a situation where it's different. Um, I'm sure most of them, if if not 80% of them are doing it because they love it and because they it's the pursuit of the, the best joke that they can write. But I know here in Ottawa, like, I mean, we have open mics here where people just like don't even go up with material. They just like, they just go up and they're like, I'm just going to be funny. That's the only thing I'm concerned about right now is just being funny. And, uh, and then they pull it off and they pull it off and you're like, how the fuck you didn't go up there with anything. You just started like making fun of the venue and the venue is obviously not pleased at shit like that, but I'm pleased as punch. Cause I just watched somebody like, <laughs> again, like watching great jazz improviser or something, just like make something out of absolutely nothing, you know? And it's, uh, it's, it's really cool to watch and it's a testament to how 
strong the scene can be when it's firing on all cylinders. I mean, I'm sure it's the same thing with like going down to LA. Most people that live in LA aren't from LA and they go down there chasing that dream of being someone that's going to be successful. So you can smell it on them the second they go on stage. You know what I mean? You can smell that desperation of like, I hope somebody in the audience can take me further. And we just don't have that here in Ottawa. There's just nothing. It's nothing but the love of the game and the pursuit of um, making the best comedy performance that you possibly can or doing your best on stage. And that's, I think that's, that's fucking, that's wonderful. I mean, I think that's why anybody should make art to begin with, but a comedy is art, whatever, but you know what I mean? <laughs> it's art. I it is art, especially the way it. I do it, dude. Singing songs about cum and G major. Like, the more <laughs> yeah, exactly. The artist, <laughs> that, you're an artist. Yeah. Anytime you, I think that you can take, you know, a piece of paper and turn it into art, or you can take, nothing um, like a microphone in a stage and turn it into something that has people laughing or crying or whatever the emotion that you evoke that's art to me for sure that's the way yeah. i look at it um i actually asked that question because i kind of figured that would be your answer and i wanted to set this up uh when we talked with oliver i think this was when we weren't recording but i said to him i had a feeling that you were going to outgrow your comedy was going to outgrow ottawa fairly fast Okay. Uh, and I wondered like if he had ever talked to you about where you saw your career going and he didn't really have an answer for it. And I'm curious, I'm going to ask it here. Where do you see your career going in comedy? Um, geographically, I don't really care. I mean, with the, with the, the advancement of the internet, I mean, I can't, can't do spots online. I mean, you can, but I'm not going to, like, I don't give a shit about VR comedy. I don't give a shit about any of that, you know? Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, with regards to like, uh, the pr five to 10 year plan or whatever. Um, I I'm, I'm content with theaters. That's where I'm trying to like focus all my energy. And I think that like, cause I mean no harm when I do a lot of stuff. Like I definitely have goals and like, it's my, it's my want to do more club shows than like indie rooms because I just like that environment better to do stand up. I think that's the way stand up is meant to be performed. Um, and it's, uh, but, but I don't, when I go to clubs or when I meet club owners, they don't sense that like, I, at least I think I'm hope, I hope that I project it, that there's no desperation where it's like, please, sir, you know, just give me eight minutes. I promise I'm going to, I'm going to do really well. It's like, you can, but my goal, like I have a comedy band, like my goal at the end of the, at the end of my career, or like when my career has hit its peak and then I have to reevaluate and think of what the next five to 10 years are going to look like is my band goes on the road and we play a whole bunch of theaters. So as much as I love the comedy clubs and love doing stand up in the clubs as a way to hone what is funny with my songs, I can't bring a band, I can't bring a three, three piece into into absolute comedy. First, Jason would shoot me, you know, he fucking like <laughs> there would be a sniper with like a, 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 a arrow or something going through my neck. Like so, I I am already thinking like beyond that, and I think these guys can sense it so that they I end up getting a lot of work with regards to that but yeah yeah anyways uh long long answer short uh i want to take a band on the road it's called logan brown and the daddies and uh we're gonna do theaters and shit uh i want to start doing like soft like 300 person theaters and shit maybe next year late uh early 2025 uh, and then just yeah see where that goes continue to plug away hey mitch hedberg always had like a stand-up bass behind him so yeah, I mean, right. I think that's, I think that's funny. you know what I mean. That's 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 a great idea. I'll take somebody play some smooth jazz while I tell punchlines. Yeah, man. Yeah, so cool. 
you talked about the LA scene, uh, just going back, uh, you talked about the LA scene a little bit. Um, what do you think of kind of like the ecosystem that those guys are creating out there where they can sort of bypass the studios or like, um, you know, the just for laughs and things like that. Like they've kind of created this ecosystem where they can do pretty much whatever they want. Like I'm thinking like bad friends, like all these different groups that have created these ecosystems. Yeah. I mean, they, they, that's a, it's a tricky subject. Cause like not being from LA and not really experiencing like the culture down there. It's like, I can't, I can only make like base assumptions, uh, based on my friends that live there and, and people that have visited and, you know, uh, but they all need just for laughs or something like, I mean, even the bad friends guys, like, I mean, Andrew Santino was on new fate, got, got new JFL new faces. And that helped along with punked and everything like that. That's what helped propel sure. his career. I mean, like guys that are starting from the ground up right now. Um, I nothing but love and support. I it's, it's gotta be a very stressful environment to, to live in because you have tons of, you're constantly comparing yourself to other people. Um, again, that's right. the benefit of being in Ottawa is like, I don't look at my Instagram followers and then look at other comedians, Instagram followers and go like, I wish I had that. Like everybody, some of the funniest people I know, don't even have social media sometimes, you know what I mean? Like they just like, they're just, again, just doing it for the love of the game. So I don't, I think a lot of that shit is still, I, I don't know if necessarily like needed. Cause there's still a lot of gatekeepers in comedy because as an art form, it's, it's uh, only a hundred years old. Whereas like everything else is way fucking way older. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I wish him the best. I hope that we get to a point where we don't really need those guys anymore, but at the same time, as somebody that hates being on social media, even though it connects me to cool people like yourselves, like I, I do long for the eighties and nineties again, where I could just play in a bar and randomly have like Jeff Healy sitting in the corner of the bar being like, Hey, that guy's pretty fucking good. Maybe we'll sign him to blue, blue note records or some shit. Like I do, I do miss that. And I'm sure, I'm sure there's a lot of musicians that were making good, ch good chunks of change pre Napster miss those days too. So, you know, one of the things that I like about your comedy is that I find that you don't really take cheap shots. Actually, I don't find at all that you take cheap shots. There was a bit you guys did a couple weeks ago about the lead singer of Smash Mouth. Yeah. Uh, Steve Harwell. You were actually very empathetic towards him, I felt. Yeah. And I thought I, it kind of made me think about a lot of the comedians that I really enjoy. And I feel like if you want to really make a good joke about a situation or about a person or something like that, you do have to come from a position of, I think being empathetic and having some type of a respect for the situation. And I noticed that with like a lot of comedians that take political shots, whether it be against someone like Trump or Trudeau or whoever, I find that the, like they just hate the person so much yeah. that it's very unfunny because the hate sort of takes over. Yeah. Like what I'm thinking, like I saw somebody the other day on uh, Instagram that was doing like a, a Trudeau bit. And I was like, this is so unfunny just because you could tell like the hatred sort of just bled through. And I always found that with Alec Baldwin's version of Trump, whereas like mm -hmm. the other people who did Trump, like Shane Gillis does a way better Trump, I think, because he almost like he had a Fox News dad. So he kind of has like a little bit of respect for <laughs> Trump, weirdly enough. But it always sort of bled through that, like. He, he wasn't coming from a spot of hate. Do you think there's something to that, that like having empathy for somebody or something allows you to write better jokes? Cause you actually have a lot of respect for it, for what the topic that you're talking about. Yeah. I think that's the only way personally, like I, if you can't, 
Um, especially when you're trying to write jokes about stuff like that. I'm a big proponent of like funny is funny is funny. Like I really am not trying to change anybody's mind politically when I get step on stage. I don't give a fuck about any of that. You know, I, I, I really just want to make people laugh. Again, the entertainer is what steps in first, more so than like the storyteller or the artist, the artiste. Um, so <laughs> I just want to make people laugh. They do try to approach it with some empathy because first off, I've struggled with alcohol in the past. Um, so I can see um, that this was a clear sign of alcoholism, even back when that video of him doing that rib fest went viral. You know what I mean? Um, talking about Steve Harwell, Steve Harwell. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and even still like, what's funny to me is like, or funny about that situation is that it was like the fucking smash mouth guy. You know what I mean? Like what's funny is not that like, this is a human being in pain. It's just like of all the people it's the, and of course, like, of course it could be anybody, but like of all the people, it's like the smash mouth dude. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we, we had, um, Shrek comes out. All star is becomes this meme song. The Shrek is love, Shrek is life meme comes out and then All-Star gets propelled even further, like even beyond being in the, the, the number one Pixar movie or Disney Pixar movie at the time. It gets propelled even yeah. further because the internet culture takes it and runs with it. And then you have the Smash Mouth guy like trying to fight people on stage. Like that's what's funny. The guy's <laughs> suffering is not what's funny. And I think those no. wires <laughs> kind of get crossed. But I want to make sure that the funny is like as little as possible, like about how much of a or how in pain this person was like what was really funny to me was like after he died his band roasting him you know what i mean like in their fucking yeah. post they were just like yeah his musical ability wasn't the strongest but boy oh boy did he burn like a bright star and i'm like that's so fucking funny like this is like, <laughs> the, like the dude is six feet under and they're just like yeah he was kind of a piece of shit wasn't he <laughs> it's like, fuck <laughs> me, dude. like i can't catch a break even in the grave you know yeah, yeah. It was, it was something about like his he he was like something about his talent was limited or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. But I guess they had like a, a history of like um like they loved to roast each other. Like that was a big thing in the band and how they would show love and camaraderies. They would just roast each other. So they were just continuing that on, you know, posthumously. But uh, it's like Jesus, like kick a man when he's down. Like he couldn't be any any further down. You know what I mean? Like he's the man is literally yeah. <laughs> underground right now. And you're like fucking, yeah, he was kind of shit, but he had a great stage presence, didn't he? Like, all right. <laughs> yeah. Aren't you guys glad you don't have to see that fucking soul patch anymore? It's like, holy shit. Like, what are you-, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> you, you know, what's funny is like, that's that whole thing is such a, like, I don't know that women do that to each other where they kind of roast each other. But like men, that's that's something that I don't think is is ever going to go away. Like yeah. boys roasting each other. Corey yeah. and I roast each other all day, every day. Just about, yeah. you know, he tells that's me funny. I can't read. I tell him he doesn't have hair. We do it in much more clever ways than that. But it's just it's the thing that we do. And I do it with every single one of my friends. But a lot of people if you're outside of it, you kind of look at it and go, wow, these guys really have a disdain for one another, but you don't, it's almost like a, the way that we show love. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I grew up in a household of people getting roasted all the time. I mean, my dad, my dad's so quick with just like shitting on my mom and my mom will give it right back to him. And then we'll fucking pile on my sister and you know, my brother will get involved. Like it's all, it's all in good love. So it's a way that I appreciate and show love there's got to be good boundary setting in there as well not everybody you know sometimes you've had two hours of sleep and you don't really really want to hear somebody call you bitch tits but uh you know it is what it is you're just trying to roll with the punches and make sure that your uh, your ego leaves the room when you go home i roasted my dad at his eulogy 
Oh yeah, yeah that's, like, it that's... wasn't really a eulogy. It was ta- you talk about time and place. It was I basically started it. Like someone was like, "Oh, don't you want to go say something about your dad?" I'm like, "Oh boy, do I!" Yeah, I went yeah, up yeah. there and I was just like, "Man, my dad was so cheap." And I just went into like five minute <laughs> bit about how cheap he was, and I mean, it killed. But it, afterwards, my mom was like, "You probably should have said some nice things too." And I was like, yeah. "That was the nice thing." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that was yeah, that was how I paid tribute to him is uh is through that yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) black man white privilege man i i checked that out and like really great job on that um what was that like coming up with coming up with the material for that album or recording that album in general uh the recording of it was a little stressful because i had a whole bunch of people back out that had like pre-reserved tickets uh like maybe two weeks before so that that kind of fucked me up a little bit i had it was kind of initiated a call to arms and the the club nick burden he's the owner of the laugh lounge still roasts me about it he's like are you gonna he's like if, if you're gonna book a show at my place are you gonna cry to the internet again and see if you can fill seat in the club and i was like listen man it worked all right you don't need to but it's you know it was just all in the, the sake of being transparent with people because I was stressed and I was trying to play it off like I wasn't. But anyways, um, yeah, the, the recording of it was great. I didn't realize until after that most people record two shows because in case you bomb the first show, and I was just like, no, it's gonna be one show, and didn't even that didn't even come into uh, into my mind whatsoever. Uh, the writing of the material is like writing comedy songs is actually like pretty easy, um, or for me at least, because I look at it musically first like that's kind of the way that i think it's supposed to be done which is why i have such a disdain for most musical comedians is like if you think about your song as like how many jokes can i cram into this and then it just so happens that it's in the key of b flat then you're left with that piss poor like okay this is these are all jokes that could have been said without the guitar he just happens to be rhyming them, you know, and then using the rhyme as a way to elevate the comedy, which is like, that's fine. You know, like whatever. Um, it, it, it is a shtick. It isn't it, it, like, it's hard to do well. It's hard to do it without people rolling their eyes, especially my peers, but it is still a niche that does give me elevation over the, the competition or, or other comics. Right. Um, so I start with trying to make a really great song or a song that's really catchy. And then from there I can insert jokes and if a joke doesn't work, I just take the same structure and then just replace a line. And so that ends yeah. up being like fairly, there's a formula to it that I don't really, uh, I don't often deviate from. Uh, I do now with the band just because there's certain like, like I take quite a few leads uh, when we're playing live and shit like that. So it's some of the structures change to accommodate that a little bit. Um, and I'm working with like two jazz guys. So it's like, we do think a little bit more about the arrangement necessarily than I would just being solo acoustic. Um, but it always starts with how great can I make this song? And then it just so happens to be about like my comic, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. kind of the way that, cause it, I have, I've done shows where like people have your just attraction really, to a dog. Yeah. 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 You know, like just kidding. And, shit. and I've done shows where like I've bombed, like, obviously I'm not being like, wow, could you believe it? But it's like, I've done shows that like where people, non-comics just fucking do not like musical comedy and they're so done with it but it's stuck in their head and that feeds me sometimes even more so especially if i'm doing a shitty yucks road gig or whatever i love you yuck yucks please give me those road gigs they pay a lot of money um (laughs) but uh, if i'm doing some like abysmal like road gig or whatever in a small town and people aren't vibing with what i'm doing because the median age is 75 they're still getting the hand job stuck in their head because it's a fucking (laughs) yeah 
it's a G to a to an F to a to a C chord, but you know, progression with a relatively familiar sounding melody and hook line and a catchy sing along chorus. So they could fucking right. hate my guts all they want. They're still driving home going, nobody wants a fuck. God damn it. You know, like that's <laughs> it feeds my soul, man. You did a bit. It was one of the first things I ever heard you play was when you did Third Eye Blind's Jumper about getting Kentucky Fried Chicken. Oh, and yeah. I was literally singing that days later <laughs> to Jumper. That's so funny, dude. Yeah, yeah. No, I it's all, again, trying to make content and put, you know, shit out on the internet. Like, parodies are kind of low-hanging fruit for me. I think, like, parodies are, like, this, this stupid. Unless it's done Weird Al level, I think it's fucking so stupid. But I wanted to put out TikTok content. This stuff was really conducive to doing it in 30 to 60 seconds. And it's all songs that I like anyway. So I figured, you know, this is all shit that I play at, like, my pub gigs. So I already knew the chords. I knew the melody lines. So it was just a matter of kind of figuring out what was funny about it. I did the Rockstar one too. I stopped when I put out free balling. Cause I found out that like seven other comics have done free balling. And I was like, <laughs> the last thing I want to be is a hack on the internet. You know, again, jury of your peers and comedians are fucking mean. So even if they're your friends, so. Yeah. Probably especially mean if they're your friends. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I noticed that you, uh, you're really comfortable with the crowd like even in between your songs you're bantering with them you're commenting on you know what you rhymed like i think you had the the line you were you said something about bill bro and you wrote oh, yeah. dildo and you're like yeah. it's the only thing i could think of to rhyme with bill bro yeah yeah um yeah. yeah like just really great banter is that something that's always come easy to you uh no no that's the thing that i needed to work on more so than anything else um and then it just took doing it a whole bunch of times. Because again, let's stand up as a situation. It's a, it's a dialogue more so than playing bars are. Like when I play bars, like regardless of how good you are, you there's going to be nights where you just ignored for th your three hour gig, and then you collect the check and you dry your eyes with it on the way home. Um, but uh, <laughs> with this, I really needed to learn how to like have a dialogue with an audience, get sharper uh, to when thinking of jokes. And I'm still not. I wouldn't consider myself like the best at it, but it's something that it's an expert in all master of none situation where I just, I continue to throw it in and continue to flex that muscle equate it as best as I can to music. So my brain can understand it better. And I have an easier time wrapping my head around it and not just being like, well, you just go up there and make stuff up. It's like, no, sometimes you have a skeleton, like the, the banter in between songs is written relatively stays the same. I always find an old guy that I can go when I make the Viagra joke, I, I go, I wasn't mean to talk to you, sir. Like that always stays the same. But what can come out of it is like somebody saying something back to me. And then that's where the improv kicks in. And then I can riff with that. So, and yeah. Like, yeah, that's, 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 that's a lot of fun to me. And doing the stop and start thing with, with uh, the acoustic guitar is like just another way for me to like let other, not only keep the show going and add different stuff to it, but also let other comics know that stand up is the thing that I respect just as much as music. I mean, this is not me stepping on anybody's toes or using this as a way to propel a music career forward. I have, again, a deep respect and reverence for stand-up comedy, the art form, the way that people string stuff together, how long it takes to get material. Like, you know, I mean, it took me two, it took me two years to, to put together a 30 minute album. And that's not a long time for comedy. You know what I mean? Most people are like, it's going to take you five before you have 15 minutes. And then it's going to take you another five before you're middling. And then it's going to take you another three before you can headline. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not a lot. It's, it, it takes a long time to build up material. And I'm very fortunate that uh, because music comes so naturally to me, I'm able to sandwich that in with comedy and help get me some time and make good quality songs and jokes and shit. But uh, you, uh, you mentioned earlier that you hate musical comedy. 
yeah. it reminds me of years ago i met nick mullen who d- does come town or adam friedland show whatever you yeah. want to call it when i talked to him i asked him i said do you really hate stand-up comedy he's like oh i hate it and then stavros was there too because yeah. it was a live podcast and he comes over he's like i hate stand-up yeah. <laughs> i was like this is what you guys just did like two hours of stand-up and they're like yeah we hate it <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it's like oh it pays the bills and it kind of reminded me that like yeah you know a lot of people do that a lot of people do things that maybe they don't necessarily love um or they or maybe they they do it for other reasons but it was it just it was funny to hear you say that you're like i hate music that's why i do it because i hate it and i kind of feel like that was the same vibe that nick had with stand-up comedy he's like i hate it that's why i do it yeah yeah well a lot of people have to do it you know what i mean it's like i i fall into that as well it's just like if i could do anything if i could if i had the brain and the know-how and the, the i was the person that wanted to go to university and become an accountant i like numbers i don't know why i didn't do that uh, I would have done that, you know, to, to wake up every day with like songs in your head or like, I mean, that's even the best part of it. The worst part is then putting the song out and going, I hope people like this, you know, like they, it gets yeah. all, and then you, you know, I mean, I'm 27 and, and I just ended a seven year relationship to do more comedy. I mean, there's some other factors in there as well, but like, it's not, they're like, Oh, you, creativity art it's the universe giving you stuff she fucking takes as much as she gives sometimes on certain months or certain years way more than she gives you know i know yeah. i have a lot of buddies that are sidemen that like fucking went into poverty during the pandemic you know what i mean sometimes like art is just fickle as fuck um and my hatred of musical comedy again just stems from like the lackluster like the no trying, like I'm going to get up there with a, a ukulele because I know three chords and I have a bunch of dad jokes that'd be funnier if I rhymed them. And uh, then they don't sing well, the songs suck and they have shitty jokes and people go, that's, and that's the majority of it. And they go, that's musical comedy, which is why I get sandwiched into that. There's a great quote from, uh, it's, I, I feel like, like Thanos a little bit, like where he like grabs the gauntlet at the end of the like second Guardians of the Galaxy movie. And it's just like, fine, I'll do it myself. Like that's, that's kind of where the vibe came through. And there's a great quote from Mark Tremonti from the guitar player for Creed, which like, stay with me here. When he left Creed and <laughs> off the bridge, he became a ridiculous yeah. guitar player, like fucking unreal. And his mm-hmm. whole thing with Alter Bridge was like, yeah, in the 90s when Creed was coming up, Kurt Cobain killed the guitar solo. Like he fucking took the music was was guitar oriented in the 80s and it was still in the forefront in the 90s you know guys like allison chains uh, jerry cantrell dean DeLeo from stone temple pilots all those guys can rip but it lost the technical proficiency that it had in the 80s so he went well kirk Cobain killed the guitar solo i want to bring it back and that's kind of how i feel about musical comedies it's like yeah you have a bunch of people that suck at doing both things and they're the face of musical comedy. It's like, yeah, of course you, everybody's going to hate it. And I fucking hate it. That's why I do it. You know what I mean? You know, there's something. Corey's a creative person. I'm a creative person. You obviously are too. We all at one point walked away from it and tried to just not be creative and none of us could succeed. And I think there's something that's inherent in people who are creative that they can't. It's that Godfather shit, man. Every time I try to get out, it is back in. You know what I mean? Like, it's like there's I've, I've, several, several times, man. And it's like in. It's, I wish I was content doing all facets of creativity. You know what I mean? If it was just about being creative, I could have taught. I could have started a YouTube channel and then had the Canada Post on the side or whatever. But no, it's I like yeah. doing my thing. I can be a side man. I've done side man work before, but it's like 
halfway through the gig, I start thinking, fuck, it'd be really nice to, I do a better version of this. Why don't you let me sing this one, man? You know what I mean? Or, or whatever it is. It's like, I wouldn't have played that chord there. And so it's, it's gotta be me doing my thing, which is where you make the least amount of money sometimes, uh, or the most, depending on how your career goes. But, uh, in terms of being true to myself, which is something that I'm absolutely trying to do, especially post-divorce, um, is really understand myself as a human being and why I do the way that I, uh, why I do the things that I do and uh, being self-aware and all that. It's, I, I can't, I can't sacrifice um, doing my thing and being honest in order to make a little bit more money or play the guitar more professionally. Like, yeah, the five yeah. hours, five, six hours that I'm at my day job, I would much rather have my guitar in my hand um or my penis um but uh i'll die hey we're just being real we're just being honest here on second story podcast um but uh i I gotta do what i gotta do in order to make sure that what i'm doing is something that i absolutely want to do and that's just yeah that's how i try to live my life now and how i've been trying to do it uh uh, for the last uh last little bit yeah nice so we're almost out of time here i'll uh i'll ask if there's one thing that you had to tell people you took away from this podcast. What would you say it was? Listen, all right. You want to watch Second Story Podcast, all right? The world is going to shit. It's not filled with honest people anymore. Good place. A good place where you can go to unfiltered honesty. Great interviews. A good time. Two white guys, all right? Two white guys <laughs> in their studios. They're going to give you the best unfiltered shit. They're going to say some fucked up stuff, probably. I don't know. But... uh in the long run, this is where you're going to learn the best. You're going to learn the most about your influences, the, about the most about the uh, local uh, local celebrities, local heroes, and uh, and you're going to have a great time. You're going to be sounding a couple of handsome dudes, a couple of handsome Caucasian brothers. You know what I'm saying? That's 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 my takeaway from Second Story. That's perfect. Yeah.